I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me once again to the book of Judges, chapter 14. Judges, chapter 14. We continue our exposition through Judges. And we continue on with the narrative of Samson. You remember last week we were introduced to his parents. We were introduced to the announcement of his, his birth and of the fact that he was going to be a servant consecrated to the service of the Lord. Well, now at chapter 14, we pick up with Samson as a young adult. <clears throat> the word of the Lord. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he turned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along, eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought thirty companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Having, have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? And Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father nor my mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept upon him the seven days while their feast lasted, and it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much, and she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? 
And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed thirty of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. We've already seen that the scripture gives a whole chapter of build-up to Samson's life. We see instruction from God given to his parents on how he is to live. We see a special consecration enforced. We see a great potential of this judge, this servant, this leader of men in God's land. But it doesn't take long for the reader to be disappointed by Samson after all that great optimistic buildup. His attitude, his actions, nearly everything about Samson is disappointing to the reader at this point. Um, every preacher I have ever heard comment on Samson has made the statement that were it not for the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, they would not think that Samson was a saved, faithful believer of the true God. Because his actions don't seem to back up his faith. What we see is a man who appears totally self-absorbed in every aspect of his ministry. He seems to put himself first. He seems to act without thinking. He seems to act very impishly in all of those things. Now, his tragedy is written as a lesson. Lesson of his sins and also a lesson that exposes the whole era of his time. Samson is not a heroic account of a mighty man that we can admire, but it is a tragic failure as we've seen with some of the other judges as well. Contrast the attitude of self-absorbed Samson with a verse like I have at the top of your outline. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. That's a, that's a flip image of what we get from the attitude of Samson. The fear of the Lord we don't really see with Samson. We don't see him embracing the instruction of wisdom of God's word, and we certainly don't see much humility in this person. He is self-absorbed. Every personality in Scripture, everyone, every personality except the Lord Jesus is a sinner. As such, they also act as a mirror for us. Whenever we read about a human being in Scripture, we are to look at that and we are to see their flaws... We are to see their sins, and we are to recognize that we are on the same plane as them. We are just as susceptible to every failure. And so the Scripture teaches us and exposes ourselves when we see these characters. Don't deny that Samson was someone who was very much admired in his own time. We also can't deny, when we really think about it, that as a whole, Samson would be someone who is admired in our time. Maybe not by 
everyone, but he certainly would have a very strong following. From what we know of Samson in the Scripture, he's a man who's handsome. He's a man who's athletic. He's a people person. He likes social gatherings. He likes parties. He's someone who's ambitious. He's someone who's very clever. He's someone who's industrious. He's someone who, when they enter the room, the room is filled with their personality. And eyes turn to him, and ears hearken to hear what he's going to say. Samson is a big personality. Big personalities are always admired. Matter of fact, big personalities often get a pass on their failures because they're so likable in other ways. We, of course, see that with many celebrities in our own time. He's admired, but we also can't deny that he is selfish and self-absorbed. As soon as we are introduced to Samson as an adult, we right out of the gate see him disregarding authority and God's law. First, right out of the gate, we see him choosing a wife of his own liking. Now, that disregards his parents' authority and the tradition of his culture, because at this time it would have been expected for the parents to, to choose the mate uh, themselves. Or he would have at least, out of respect for their authority, gave deference to them in that matter. But no, no, he's going to pick who he decides is right. In addition to that, we see him disregarding the law of God, in that he chooses someone from the Philistines, not someone who is a Hebrew. Now, that's even more grievous, because that is something that is directly in contrast to the instruction of God that is to be so valued and so holy in any believer's life. But he disregards that. He wants, he desires. In verse 3, where it says that uh, this woman pleases him well, the literal translation really is, she is right in my eyes. Someone right in my eyes. The message is constant throughout the scripture, but particularly in Judges. Again, we know the theme of Judges is that people did what was right in their eyes. And Samson is something of an of a illustration of that in, in, as an individual. The message is the constant self-absorbed decision. When you make the decision in your self-absorbed self, it places you on God's throne. If we are going to respect and love and obey and embrace the law of God, if we are going to marvel and cling to the commandments of God, then we really have to understand what it means to have no other gods before him. And when you do, when Samson does, when anyone does what is right in their own eyes, in disregard to authority, in disregard to the word of God, in disregard to who he is then you are making yourself God. And the question has to be asked, who are you to do that? Who are you to choose what is right in your own eyes, what pleases you well, and what suits your needs, despite what your Creator has ordained and gifted you with? Samson is a sinner who is held up for our examination and for us to also see our own problems with, is also someone who has a disregard for holiness. Samson's sin and rebellion manifests itself in his complete disregard for his Nazarite vow. There's little details in here that you miss if you don't 
take time to, to ask about them. The dead lion was unclean. Remember all those laws in Leviticus and in Numbers and in, in Deuteronomy and even in Exodus? Dead lions are unclean. Not only that, but it's doubly unclean for a Nazarite because we see in Numbers chapter 6, once again, that you're not supposed to go any near any dead corpse, any nearby, any dead body. Well, he doesn't just go near it. Once it's dead, he eats from it. And not just that, he gives what was in it to other people. So he's spreading the uncleanness around. He doesn't care. There's no concept of holiness there. There's no delight for the written law of God. He's going to do what he feels like. Another thing we see in how he disregards his consecration and his Nazarite vow, in verse 10 where it says he, he hosted a feast, well, the Hebrew has connotation there that this would indeed be a feast that would include alcohol. I mean, what feast wouldn't? How could these guys enjoy his company without that? Well, remember, as a Nazarite, he's not supposed to have any wine or strong drink. And so, once again, he disregards who he is and who God has ordained him to be to do what suits him and to do what is right in his own eyes. This is the type of revelry he wants to be a part of, and he doesn't care. He is Samson. He is special. God will understand. He knows my heart. He knows how I feel. He knows my circumstances. He doesn't really expect me to be obedient. He doesn't really expect me to be subject to that law. That's for other people. That's just an ideal. Those are just guidelines. That's the way of thinking that someone who is totally self-absorbed falls into. But holiness by default separates you to God, for God. Samson more and more separates himself from God to please himself. He doesn't care. May we look at this and may we learn that when we find ourselves thinking this way and acting this way, we match our lives up with the tragedy of Samson's life. What happens with self-absorption is that you are basically, you yourself are basically the end that justifies any means. I saw, I wanted, I took, I did what I felt like. It was right in my eyes. And in order to make that palatable, your excuses take on a veneer of helping others or the bigger scheme of things. You look for ends to justify your own means. Because when you propose yourself as the end, nobody sympathizes. But when you start to say it's for the common good, or when you start to say, well, this helps people, well, then people go, oh, okay, yeah, I see, yeah, yeah, those laws don't make sense as long as we get ours too, yeah, okay, great. And that's what we start to have here. The honey was good. Why should people miss out on the, the sweetness of that honey? Party was enjoyable. Who cares? Who, who wants to live like a boring old Nazarite? I'm just loving my neighbor. That's all I'm doing. Isn't that important? 
Isn't it important for me to love my neighbor? It's okay to break God's word, uh, God's word to do that, isn't it? No. Let's not forget that the devil is not all that created, creative. He uses a lot of the same tactics over and over. And when he tempts Jesus in the wilderness, he uses Scripture. He uses good ends to tempt Jesus. Look, if you do this, this is what you'll get. Or don't you know that God is going to protect you? He twists the truth of God to try and tempt Jesus. He makes evil palatable. He makes an end look enjoyable to justify whatever you want to do. Don't make excuses. When you start looking for ends to justify your actions and your means, when you start looking for this distant, abstract happiness or contentment, or this distant, abstract understanding of good or of helping people as a, way, as a means for you to sin, you have fallen into the tragedy of someone who is self-absorbed and someone like Samson. Don't make excuses and don't fall into that pit. But there are other questions that come to mind as we read through this passage. And a big one here is the sovereignty of God that stands out through everything. From Samson's point of view, from Samson's point of view, he was totally wrong. And he should have known he was wrong in all respects. He really had no excuse for what he did. He had no excuse to break his Nazarite vow. He had no excuse to pursue a woman who wasn't a Hebrew. He had no excuse to be that self-absorbed. Yet... Despite his sin, God is still sovereign over all things, and he takes that sin and still brings his plan about despite us. We are not a stumbling block to God, and we will never thwart God's plan. No matter how messy we are, he still gets his way. Now, there's comfort in that, too. There's comfort that we can take from that aspect that helps us. There is comfort in the fact that if the Lord is waiting for us to be perfect before he uses us, then nothing would ever get done for his kingdom. Nothing. Samson was a sinner, and so was Paul, so was Peter, James, and John. Now, Paul, Peter, James, and John were repentant sinners, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But they were imperfect servants nonetheless, and so was Samson. All this to say that there is much that is used by God that we did in self-absorbed sin that still continues God's plan. And we cannot stop the moving of God's plan. We know very well that God redeems things. He redeems us. He redeems sin. He redeems sinners. And what that also means is he takes something that is evil and he turns it and uses it for good. What you meant for evil, God turned to good. And we know that from the most famous account where that, that very phrase and statement is used in reference to Joseph. We've talked about that before. Joseph being sold into slavery, uh, the evil of his brothers in doing that was used of God and was moved along the plan for uh, God to elevate Joseph to a, a high status and many, many people to be saved through the uh, uh, storing of corn and of wheat. Yes, we know. That was an evil action that God redeemed and turned to good. The crucifixion, probably even more important example. There is no excuse for nailing the Son of God to the cross and killing him. That's evil, that's wicked, that's horrible, that's 
terrible to even think about. Yet, that is the means that God uses to save the universe. God's plan is never thwarted by our actions or by the devil's actions. And so, when we have this little curious statement in verse 4 of chapter 14, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, there is no understanding that this is of the Lord and that he approves of it, but that Samson in his sin and rebellion is not thwarting God's overarching plan. And this is the beginning of a very long-term fight against the Philistines that really only culminates with, with, with David's victory over them. But it is all within the sovereignty of God. And what you mean for evil won't stymie God's plan. Now, there's encouragement in that. But there's also a sorrow in that, that we would even get, that we would even begin to thwart what is good and what is right in God's word and in God's eyes. There are things that God will do for his glory despite the evil. And we need to realize that and accept that and also grow from that truth. The plan of God moves onward no matter what. There is a difference between repentance and self-absorbed self-pity. You'll never thwart the plan of God. He's bigger than your sin. Amen. Hallelujah. But sin will make you miss out on potential. God will overcome your sin, and his plan will go forward no matter what. But you will miss out on glorifying God and enjoying him forever in sin. Samson's situation here where he pursued this woman ultimately was a tragic situation. Didn't help him. Didn't glorify God. God's plan moved forward in fighting against the Philistines, but Samson wasn't really elevated, wasn't really drawn nearer to God, wasn't really commended for this. Things didn't really work out well for Samson in all of this. He missed out an opportunity. God's plan still would have moved forward against the Philistines. Had Samson said, no, I want to obey the voice of my Lord and I want to marry someone who is a Hebrew, God's plan still would have gone forward. And in that, Samson would have experienced God's blessing and favor and encouragement and peace and rest. But he missed that opportunity because of his sin. Sin will make you miss out on your potential. But you will not, again, you will not mess up God's plans. You will never prevent someone from being saved. Your sin, your evil, and I'll say it again, your sin, your evil, will mess up your relationship with God and your opportunity to glorify God, but you will never stop God's accomplishment in this world. Don't obsess over your mistakes if you've repented of them, they're given to the Lord, and that's wonderful. The Scripture says that all who the Father gives me will come to me. And when we start saying things like, oh, I missed that opportunity, or I didn't say the right thing, or I wasn't faithful enough, or oh, my bad example, my bad testimony, you want a good, a good testimony for the glory of God, but you will not stop the person who is truly God's person from coming to him and glorifying him. You might, damn, you might 
you might have a negative influence and damaging some relationship there, sure. But you will never stop God's plan. So don't obsess over that. If you are devoted to God, if you're devoted to Him, then wallowing in self-pity over sin, over mistakes, over missed opportunities really accomplishes nothing. Repent. Say, I acknowledge that sin. I acknowledge that's wrong. I hand it over to the Lord God. I rest in Him. Then get back on the horse and do what you can to serve Him. Match yourself up with God's plan instead of fighting against it because it'll never come to anything anyway in your fight. So best to walk in step with the Holy Spirit and in step with the glory of God. We examine this tragedy of Samson and we see him dealing with all this this stuff with the riddles and with the Philistines and we see the anger and we see the frustration and we see the back and forth and we see the damage that's done. We have to look at this and we have to say, look, this was all something that obedience could have been avoided. His life, that inobedience could have been avoided. Samson's life is a tragedy, but yours does not have to be. Samson was self-absorbed, but you can hand over your self-absorption to God right now. You can learn and you can watch against your own temptations. We're told in the very in the scriptures to watch that we don't enter into temptation. Well, when we know ourselves, when we know what we're prone to, when we know our own weaknesses, then we can we can exercise and we can build up ways to prevent falling into our own subtle pits. Samson was impressively strong. Impressively strong physically, that is. But he's very weak spiritually. Now, he would have still been effective for God if he was weak physically and strong spiritually. What strength do you wish you had? What strength do you feel that you miss out on because you don't have? The reality is that the strength of your God, the strength of your Lord, overcomes any weakness. Whenever Samson accomplished something that really was great, it was with the Spirit of the Lord upon him. As time goes on, he's going to do things without the Spirit of the Lord, and he's, it's not going to turn out so well. You see him distancing himself from God. But it doesn't matter if you are weak physically or you're weak by the measure of this world. With the strength of God in your life, you will accomplish great things for his kingdom. The Lord overcomes our weakness. He is the one who in weakness we know we need. There's a reason the apostle says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. He says it because when I know my weakness, when I know my temptations, when I know my faults, I know who to run to. I know who to rest on. I know who to lean on, and I know who can overcome all those troubles. In self-absorption, we don't realize that. Self-absorption brings a chaos. It brings a sorrow. It brings an abuse. It brings a destruction, both to self and to those around you. Your eyes, your ends, your way, your truth, your life need to be kept focused on God. Everything about you needs to be for Him. He is to be your focus and your devotion. 
self-absorption can never mesh with Christianity and eternal life. If you are self-absorbed and your life is for self, well, Jesus says you've gained that life, but you've lost eternity. To be born again means that self-absorption must be put to death. And your devotion is to be to Christ. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. He is the only one who's worthy to have it. If I have it, I'll be disappointed and frustrated my whole life. So I give to him. I surrender to him. And I am at his mercy. And I am all for him. There is great repentance and great forgiveness in Christ. Matter of fact, it's the only place that there is forgiveness. And with repentance comes great peace, great rest, great joy. Again, I'm going to reference the top of your outline. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. The fear of God will lead one to repentance. We recognize our faults. We recognize that weakness. We recognize our wrongs. And we turn from self. We turn from our sin. And we turn to God. In humility, we honor our Lord and find unending total forgiveness in Christ. If you are your own God, then your end goals will justify any means that you have. And your life will end tragically. You will miss so much potential. You will miss so much joy. And you will miss eternal life and comfort if you are your own God. Because you as God cannot save yourself. You as God cannot wipe away the misery. You as God cannot claim victory over the problems of this world. You as God cannot look at a situation like our current events and say, I have all the answers and in my self-absorption I will fix this. You can't do it. But when you recognize the sovereignty of God and you recognize that His will will be done and that He will use anything to accomplish His means despite its evil, despite its sinfulness, despite its wickedness, then you put yourself all on Him and you recognize that this is the only way to live. I invite you now to repent of your self-absorption and to give yourself to Christ. To repent of your own wisdom to repent of your own honor, to repent of your own pride. We're living in a situation where we need to recognize now more than ever that we are not in control. But God is. And while we don't know what He's doing with our world circumstances, we know that He will accomplish what He sees fit. And when you are surrendered and absorbed in Him, not yourself, You'll be okay with that. Repent of that self-absorption. Give yourself to Him. Now, if you are a Christian and there's something you're hanging on to that you're afraid to lose, God is bigger than that thing. God is bigger than that person. And with your surrendering of that absorption there, you'll find a freedom and a peace and a rest that nothing else will bring you. Repent. And believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Make Christ your life, your way, 
your truth. Give up the self-absorbed honor. Humble yourself in the fear of the Lord and become Christ-absorbed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to learn from the tragedy of Samson's sinful life. Help us to recognize that you will use anyone despite ourselves, but that all the more glory and honor go to you when we walk in step with you in faith and obedience. May we repent of our self-absorption. May we repent of our self-idolatry. May we take ourselves off of the throne of God, and may we bow our knee to the true God. May Christ be our only life, our only way, our only truth. May we, in fear, repent and walk in humility with our God, loving him, embracing him, and enjoying him forever. Apply these truths, apply this lesson to us. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.